Almost all the major shipping lines continue to avoid the Red Sea after attacks from Houthi rebels on commercial vessels off the coast of Yemen. This continues to cause huge disruption for international trade and has significant ramifications for businesses, of course, as vessels go around the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa, a route that adds about 3,000 nautical miles onto trips from China to North Europe. Consequently, as has been covered, we've seen huge increases in freight rates, transit times and delays in 2024, a nightmare for businesses and ultimately consumers. The US and UK have now engaged in military action at targeted sites and the Houthi rebels have suggested there will be a response, meaning that this crisis is unlikely to end anytime soon. So the big question for shippers right now is whether there are any solutions to this disruption. Are there any steps that a business can take to reduce the impact of events like this in the short and long term? Well, joining me to discuss answers to that point on the Freight Club podcast today, I have Kerry Barton, the Sales and Marketing Director at WTA. So we're here again, Kerry. Well, th- first of all, thanks very much for, for joining me for, uh, for a discussion, although it's, it's, it's not in great uh, circumstances. It, it feels as though, you know, shippers barely get sort of five minutes of favorable market conditions before it's once again sort of thrown into into disarray yeah basically i think it's something like 20 percent of our trade goes through the red sea you know the first week of this year we were down 90 percent on the usual amount of ships going through the Suez canal so there's a big impact here on international trade really anyone who's who's just catching up with this the you know, major shipping lines are avoiding sailing through this region so when you are diverted, you're going around the southern tip of Africa, which can t- which adds 10 days, two weeks to each voyage between Asia and Northern Europe. So, yeah, after a year of fairly stable freight rates, you know, we've seen improving KPIs on, re- on reliability, you know, on time arrivals, all that was improving following COVID. Um, we're now much more in, back into this period of uncertainty, unfortunately. Um, Zanetta released data just last week, I think, to say that the Far East to Europe shipping rates have increased by 125%. So, yeah, it's just a bit of a nightmare scenario, really, for anyone managing a supply chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have seen uh, extraordinary uh, freight rate increases. I'm not sure even during this sort of pandemic uh, era issues that, that were caused there, we saw such like a- aggressive week on week freight rate increases they obviously went to much higher levels than they are at the moment uh, for now at least but but I don't think we saw the the week on week sort of aggressive increases that we've that we've seen uh, in, in the last few weeks so i mean i'm guessing in the wake of these uh, freight rate increases you're seeing a lot of frustration from from business leaders that are managing supply chains yeah yeah, there is obvious frustration, you know, it's mainly born from the speed that you were just talking about, that the landscape's changed. So budgeting has been impossible, you know, new year, new budgets and all that. And then we're coming along and issuing like one week's validity on our quotes because everything's changing just so rapidly. Mm. And businesses haven't had time to factor this in. There was no real warning or anything that this was going to happen. Um, So they've not factored it into pricing strategies, internal budgeting or anything. So, yeah, I'd say there's, there's frustration from that. But on the flip side, I'd say that there's a, there is an understanding of the situation. Um, 
I think blank sailing caused more frustration in a way because th that no one could really get their heads around why it was happening. It was quite, you know, that was shipping lines trying to slowly increase freight rates and that's fr more frustrating. This is born out of a major international conflict and it's been well documented in the news and it feels quite on a human level quite raw what we're dealing with you know we woke up felt quite like it escalated on friday morning you know and our armed force ministers on the news talking about you know how the houthi are using global trade as ransom and that's quite a powerful statement you know there's lots of small businesses here that aren't used to be caught up in such a major conflict um on an international scale so it, it's this frustration but it's slightly balanced with a bit of perspective because we're just so caught up in something that's way beyond what we are usually dealing with mm, yeah i think it's a great point i think there is certainly a a feeling here that uh, th this is you know a small and medium and large businesses getting caught up in 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 a, in a geopolitical issue and, and and humanitarian crisis that is that is way beyond what is what a normal business is is usually subject to but uh, you know as i said at the start you know we are here to to kind of focus on on the supply chain side of things because that's that's what uh, that's what we know about and that's that's what people are listening that's what directly yeah. affects them so you know we, we've talked about the the container spot market having a a very dramatic couple of weeks and i suppose that's kind of been exacerbated <laughs> by the fact that it is typically a busy time of year, isn't it? 100% um, Lunar New Year's approaching. Um, anyone listening who doesn't regularly import from China, to other country has this major holiday, um, which basically has a shutdown for businesses across the country. So you usually get a peak in demand and imports before that. Um, Lunar New Year d differs every year. This year it's the 10th of February. Anyone who's interested, that's the year of the dragon. <laughs> if, um, if you're following that yeah good to know don't know what that means don't don't ask me any more questions but um it is the year of the dragon um so that's making it even more complicated because we usually see a peak in um imports at this time i'd say on top of that long-term contracts have never really recovered since covid it's out of which you know spot market has still been dominant um, but that's even more so now because even those that have them have had contracts some carriers are unable to honor them because of these because of the circumstances and the prices going all over the place schedules are out of sync at the minute containers aren't where they should be this the only silver lining and um rochelle touched on it in the podcast last week is this idea that there's in covid there was a real shortage of space whereas here there is no shortage in, on vessels we're still relatively low demand, even though we're in peak season compared to previous years, consumer demand is still quite low. So capacity isn't an issue. So that's that's the silver lining, I guess, from a supply chain point of view. I, I don't think we will. I think you touched on it a second ago, Scott. I don't think we're going to see the outrageous freight rates we saw in 2021 either. They're still shooting up, but I don't think we're going to, they're not going to be quite as bonkers as they were during COVID. I don't think things are going back to normal quite yet, and I'm not sure when, but I don't think we're going to go into really bonkers territory, fingers crossed. Yeah, it's certainly true. Rochelle did make that point last week. Uh, you can actually listen to the to podcast with Rochelle 
Uh, we did a Freight Club episode with uh, with our co-CEO, Rochelle Summer, and that's uh, that's live on our podcast page at the moment. You can probably find it just below where this one will be posted. So uh, very easy. Well, don't go done, yet. Scott. <laughs> don't, wait, wait until finish this one first, and then yeah. maybe maybe uh, maybe a podcast writer <laughs> will roll it onto that podcast automatically, so you won't have to do anything. But yes, the, the point that Rochelle made, as you've just kind of said there, is that d- demand isn't where... Um, it was during the COVID, you know, consumer demand. People are spending more of their money on services again, so the consumer demand for products isn't there. Therefore, um, you know, there's not that worry. And also, in response to that, uh, we had about 2.3 million more uh, extra space, TEUs worth of space delivered last year. There's another, like, 3 million on the way this year. A lot of the conversation was about how they've got too much space last, last year and these blank sailings, which you've touched on. So lack of space, as you said, isn't an issue. It's just about uh, huge diversions, space not being in the right place, which is, uh, has driven rates up sharply. I was actually looking at a, a Vessel Finder, which is the sort of website you might find me on on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, which... <laughs> we won't judge you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all right. Um, so that's, that's, if you're not aware, that's a website that tracks all the ships in the, in the sea at the moment. Um, and I was looking at the uh, Ever Araya vessel, which uh, this is just to highlight the sort of the scale yeah. of, of disruption that, that missing the Red Sea causes. Uh, the Ever Araya was uh, left Greece heading for Sri Lanka, which uh, is a route that would typically take about 12 days. Now, not being able to use the Red Sea has increased that to a 26-day predicted transit time. We are here, though, to talk about solutions to that kind of challenge, to focus on what businesses can, can do right now when, when disruption is on this scale, is there anything they can do to try and avoid or, or minimise the disruption? Um, I, I would say in times like this, it is it is quite difficult to avoid in its entirety. But, you know, are there things that businesses can do sort of in the right now, in the immediate term, but also in the long term? Yeah. And just to reiterate, there isn't a magic wand, unfortunately. So I think accepting that there's going to be a de- degree of disruption is important here. So if you're importing, you're going to get you're going to be impacted. Um, it's a bit of a balancing act at the minute. So I'm speaking to customers and we're looking at various different things you can do. Air freight is definitely coming up at the minute, um, but it's a bit of a balancing act. So air freight is notoriously more expensive than sea freight. Um, everyone knows that it's also not particularly good for ESG strategies. You need to weigh up the the cost of the goods and the value of those goods you're exporting is it worth paying the premium for air freight and because sea freight rates are going up the gap between air freight and sea freight is getting smaller mm. um so so it's definitely something to think about the other option is doing something more of a hybrid between sea freight and air freight so um if you could ship maybe from the Asia to the Far East, somewhere like Dubai, and then use air freight from Dubai to Europe. So that way you're reducing the disruption, you're avoiding the area of the Suez and Red Sea where there's issues, um, but you're not paying the full whack on air freight. But again, that's still a lot more expensive than sea freight. Even, Even though sea freight's higher, that's still more expensive. So you're paying a premium for for getting your goods quicker, basically. With air freight, I'd say, you know, rates are increasing because of the increasing demand. But course, again, yeah. we're not seeing those aggressive hikes like we are in sea freight. 
there's also again plenty of capacity in air freight um, demand hasn't been quite what it has in previous years passenger numbers on the flip side have recovered so 2024 we're expecting people to be traveling just as much as they did pre-covid which means that there's space there's planes in the sky that you can load your goods onto and things like that so so there is there is capacity, there are freight rates at them, air freight rates are increasing, but not massively. So it's definitely something to think about, but it is a premium. I'd say if you're worried about air freight, particularly because of an ESG point of view, um, make sure you're using a platform, you know, like the WTA platform, at least for every single journey you do, it gives you your carbon emissions. So that's the first step to mitigation. So you can at least report on the upswing. You might be able to, it's not ideal carbon offsetting, but it might be something you could do temporarily during this period. So you're not completely disregarding your ESG strategy. So yeah, I'd say air freight is the main thing at the minute people are looking at, but it's a, it is definitely a balancing act, but um, weighing up the cost of your goods, you know, versus the cost of air freight even if you do a hybrid solution yeah yeah it is usually the uh the, the go-to quick fix in in times like this the the air freight market because it is you know it's right there and planes are leaving all the time as as you've said you know there's as many planes expected in, in 2024 as as, as pre-pandemic it's the i think it's the first time that you know flight traffic has been back to that level so so there is plenty of space um, most people don't even realise that most air cargo moves on planes with passengers. No, um, I did it before I moved into this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, you know, there being more passengers in the air has a direct impact on how much air freight capacity there is available. Uh, that's why it's, it's important to make that point. But let's now talk about uh, businesses where, as you sort of alluded to in your answer there, where, where air freight is, is not an option, either for cost or for environmental reasons. Um, you know, how else can... <laughs> Can businesses minimise the disruption that this uh, this Red Sea incident is causing? Yeah, so what I'm doing is spending a lot of time with some of our customers just reviewing their supply chain full stop because I'm going to talk very general trends here so it's not applicable to everyone but there was this general idea during Covid to try and stockpile your goods to minimize disruption so there was a lot of stockpiling there was lots of activity just people wanted goods and they wanted them in warehouses then following covid we entered a quite a difficult period economically with the uk and consumer demand isn't still isn't as high as it was so it's taken ages basically to eat through a lot of this stock as we finished 2023, there was kind of a sense that people have started um, eating through this stock and we've been having a lot more conversations about what our customers do going forward. And a lot of people I spoke to were kind of shifting back to a just-in-time model, which they hadn't been doing previously, which was kind of a gamble, but they were saying that, well, we're in a fairly predictable supply chain. Not much is happening at the minute. We want to free up capital. We don't want to over-order because of the economic situations. Joe, you know, I've seen, I was having so much more conversations about origin consoles where they could rather than getting a whole container load from one customer they wanted to split it across you know, four or five different customers so that the, the just-in-time model was kind of becoming the shift for a lot of customers but now that's kind of impossible and some businesses are feeling quite exposed so if you've got a 20 to 25 percent increase in transit times um, which we're seeing from asia 
you might have to start securing your next shipping booking while your current one's still at sea, which is not what you were doing before. So let's say you average 15 containers moving from the Far East to Europe each month. To maintain the same level of supply, you're going to have to increase that to 18, 19 now to compensate for this extra 10 to 12 days on sea, which really affects cash flow. So the best thing I think you can do is reach out to either you can reach out to myself, my team or anybody that you trust and really start breaking down your almost your supply chain strategy, I'd say. So not just looking at, oh, should I use air freight, but go, right, what's that model now? Is it just in time? Do I need to start shipping when other containers are still on sea? How does that affect my cash flow? So do a bit more of a holistic look of your supply chain and also think about it knowing that it's cyclical there's always issues in international trade so even if you come up with a strategy for this crisis have one eye on thinking okay when it goes back to normal that normal's only going to be around for so long so you you're always got a backup strategy and to do that knowledge is the king really scott i'd say mm. um I can point out some really good resources. One of them, I'd say, genuinely not wanting to just big up WTA, but the Red Sea blog that we've got on the website is is amazing. I go to it every day. I know it's updated every day. There's, you know, even the BBC website, The Economist, The FT, everyone's talking about it. And I'm looking at it through the lens of international trade. So all this knowledge can help with the decision making and help you have better conversations with your freight forwarder, really. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Basically, ships all going around the, the Cape of Good Hope means that everyone's floating inventory is higher than uh, than it would typically be. So, you know, if uh, I think the example you gave was, say, if you're bringing 15 containers a month, you're going to need to up that by 20 to 25 percent to compensate for the fact that a lot of that is going to be on boats. So a lot more of it is going to be on boats. Your floating inventory is going to be higher. Uh, so you need to make more orders to sustain the level of supply into your business. Is there not a case uh, in times like this for uh, for suggesting that, that supply chain visibility, the importance of supply chain visibility uh, and how that can help at times like this? Scott, I think everyone should get visibility full stop, no matter if there's a crisis, if, if there isn't. It's especially important at times of crisis, but I think everyone should be demanding visibility. Any good freight forwarders should be offering you a free platform with their services so you know exactly what's going on with your shipment you know whatever transport mode you're using and i've made this point before on a previous podcast it's not just about watching your ships on a map it's lovely that you can see them bobbing along and where they are but it's about the data you're getting access to, you know, tracking when is it going to land? What are my costs associated with the shipment? What's my ESG looking like with each shipment? And all this information in real time allows you to make better decisions about your supply chain. It allows you to map anomalies, predict when issues are going to happen. So the more data you get, the better you are at managing crisis. Notification delays, getting ETAs that are automated and instant, you know, you can mitigate issues quicker and I'd say it's really important to be able to book make place shipping bookings as quickly as seamlessly as possible in this time because when um, freight rates are changing so rapidly if you're firing emails back and forth and it just takes a long time to get a booking in place by the time from the quotation to the booking it 
the increase might be <laughs> quite significant. So what we want to do is make it as fast as possible to place a booking to save you money. And that's where these sort of platforms can really help because you can do it all online fast and quick rather than through multiple emails and i think speed is really of the essence in times like this when freight rates are so volatile mm, yeah it's a great point i i i suspect you're not going to be the only sort of industry analyst at a time like this talking about the importance of visibility incidents like this i think just do highlight how, how it can help and how it can it can it can save you know cold hard cash really be, being able to make a booking sooner you know, a week sooner in in the in today's market would have saved thousands of pounds each booking um so you know there's just serious there's serious money to be made in communicating more succinctly i suppose another potential uh, again it is it's a long-term solution you know it's not something that's perhaps going to help businesses tomorrow that, that are having problems with the red sea but is there is there a case in the wake of this issue for more sort of supplier diversification perhaps you know i think the phrase is is reshoring when you perhaps move some of your supply chain to a to a country nearby or nearshoring which is a, a sort of similar a similar concept i think friendshoring is another concept where you move <laughs> your supply chain to to countries yeah. that are allied with the country <laughs> that you're operating in there's every single type of shoring you know is there an argument here for for, for supplier diversification uh, in the wake of this kind of incident? Oh, Scott, yes, no, maybe. I'd say I have lots of conversations about it, and I've, I think I've touched on this before. I, I can see the trend in the US. There's definitely a trend, mainly off the back of the tariffs that Trump put in, of moving from China. You can see that, but it's not as big as you think it's going to be. But there has been a shift. The UK, I spend a lot of time talking about it, but really very little has happened. I'm not seeing a huge shift away from China. So even though we're talking about it a lot, I'm seeing little from UK businesses at the moment that support that. I'd say that the, the issues around it are, are quite complex. You know, it can be difficult to find a supplier in Eastern Europe or South America who can offer the same product you can get from the Far East. So, you know, they might be able to deliver it at speed, but they might not be able to do it in the quantities you get at the moment from China. Or if they can do it with the quantities, you find that the price is way out. So there's a sweet spot in China at the minute where, and I think we did a white paper actually, that if anyone's really interested on it, we've got, we do have it, it's on the website where we really drill down on this in great detail, but, none of the alternatives come close to China. They really have monopolized the market on cost, lack of red tape, quality of product, their infrastructure is just, they're all set up to import um, and nobody comes close. And the ones that do come close are close by, <laughs> they're in that area. So. So for this crisis in particular, it's not going to have much of an impact. You, you're going to have, you're still going to have this Red Sea issue. So I'd, if you're really, if people are really interested in it for a lot, for long term, they're thinking of mitigating this risk. Do grab and download. It's completely free. The white paper um, where we analyze it in more detail. But at the moment, I'm not seeing many people shift. And if they do, 
they've shifted to a neighbouring country. Yeah, China plus one is, is definitely a conversation businesses are having, but if the plus one is, is India, it hasn't solved the problem. <laughs> That's great. Well, you've, you've given us some really uh, valuable insights there, Kerry, um, on, on what businesses can do both sort of now and in the long term to try and uh, negate these these kind of supply chain disruptions and you know this, this red sea one is just one among many and that there will be more and it is a it's an important conversation to have um so, so do you just before we go do you have any sort of final thoughts or, or last bits of advice for businesses out there that are affected by these issues yeah i guess let's think about it. so on a business level scott i'd say there isn't a perfect fix to this. I think we all know that. I'd focus on knowledge, collaborative decision making, you know, with trusted partners is key because we've got you've got to get to the nuts and bolts of what's best for you, your business, your strategy, your products and things like that. Um, don't be afraid to pick up the phone to me, my team, reach out to me on LinkedIn, whatever you prefer, send me a carrier pigeon, however you like to communicate, don't be afraid to. And we can run through pros and cons of each of these for you and your business. Um, keep track of news, so whatever your preferred source is, whoever you trust, but register things like, you know, we've got the WTA market update, I'm sure competitors do some too, might not be as good, but they do then, but you know, register for these and keep abreast of developments, um, both on general news here, but also how the daily events are challenging the supply chain, so that's why I'm saying, you know, put the WTA blog as your favourites because we're not doing that work for you. We're taking the daily news and then flipping it for the supply chain and trade. So they're the main things I'd say to do from a business point of view. And then just on a personal level, I do want to say it's okay to feel overwhelmed by the current events as they unfold. You know, it is overwhelming at the minute. International trade's being pulled into something much bigger on a political and humanitarian crisis and it kind of just puts our work issues into a bit of perspective so whilst they're important and we need to mitigate them what we're being pulled into is far bigger than our businesses mm. i think that's a terrific point to end on thanks for joining me today mm. kerry no problem thanks scott